In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, we, we begin today a series of sermons preached by the various priests here of, of Rockdale. A series of sermons on the four last things. The four last things. We thought it appropriate in this month of November and then to continue on through Advent with, these, with this topic, this important topic. The four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So we'll leave heaven for after Christmas, but we'll cover the others leading up to it. What is the church's teaching on death, on judgment, both the particular judgment, that will be one sermon, and the general judgment, that will be another? Hell, and then, yes, heaven. When it comes to this topic of death, which is where we're going to start, we'll have two sermons on the topic. Today, we'll simply look at what it is and how to prepare oneself and how to help prepare others for death. Next Sunday, we'll look at the last sacraments as such. What are the last rites? What are the last sacraments? So first and foremost, what is death? What is its nature? What does it mean? It's not just the hospital deciding, oh, this person has so minimal a response at this point that we can, can, that we can declare them dead. We will declare them brain dead, even though we're still keeping their body alive, and then we'll harvest their organs and give them to someone else. That's not that. It's not up to the hospital to decide when they can let someone go, when they can discontinue their life, brain dead is not necessarily death. It's going to be defined by the hospital, not by the, by the church. And therefore, their definition may be more or less accurate depending on the hospital. Now, death is not just a matter of, well, there's not the ability to think or to make decisions for oneself anymore. That's not death. That's illness, it may be grave illness, but death is different. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. We are a composite. God has made us rational animals. We have a soul and we have a body. Now there are times, of course, where we're still a human being, but we cannot think or we cannot choose for ourselves. We're rational animals that can't think at the moment. It could be because of sickness. It could be because, well, an infant can't think yet. And yet we know that they're a person, even in the womb. And so, yes, death is a separation of the soul from the body. The clearest sign, well, the soul is what holds the body together. It's what gives form to who we are. The soul holds the body together and gives us, let's say, movement from within. That movement may be very minimal, but if the heart is beating, the person is alive, if there's some sort of activity coming from within, even the slightest amount, 
that can only be detected by the most refined machines of medicine, if there's some sign of movement from within in any way whatsoever, there is life, and we must protect it. And that is particularly hard when we see a loved one suffering. And we'd like to see them no longer in agony. But we are not the masters of life and death. God has created us. God has given us life. It is a precious gift. And we must not clock out for ourselves or others even a moment before God's plan, God's plan for us. Suffering, as hard as it is to watch or to endure, is not worthless. It's priceless. If we offer it as God wants, in union with His suffering and death, if we offer that suffering, and offer the suffering that we suffer even in watching another, a loved one suffer, that is priceless for salvation and for, for sanctity in heaven. Death is a separation of the soul from the body. The clearest sign is when the body begins to well, if the soul holds the body together, the soul leaves, the body begins to decompose. That is the clear sign of the church. It's a hard topic. It's a hard subject. But we need to know what the church says. When the clear signs begin to take place that there is no life, then, and only then, we declare the person dead. And of course, it's their body. Their soul lives on. And that's what really matters. We cannot, as much as the funeral homes and all the rest, try to cover it up with makeup and flowers. We must not hide from the reality of death. Each one of us is going to die. And each one of our relatives is going to die. Someday. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how. But one day it will be our funeral. If we're lucky, it will be our funeral at the traditional Latin Mass. If we've done what we can to prepare for that and to make sure our family knows where we want and how we want to be buried. And yes, we're buried, we're not cremated. Even if the modern churches allow cremation, the traditional doctrine of the church is we are buried. We treat this body, which was a temple of the Holy Ghost, in a sacred manner. Some might say, but how can a good God allow such death? And some in sickness, whether it's their own or their loved ones, some begin to be tempted to lash out at God. How can God allow this? How can God cause this pain? Ah, uh, wait a minute. First of all, God made us. He gave us life. He put us together, body and soul. We're composite. That means that anything composite begins to fall apart sooner or later. Anything that's made of more than one part 
is going to fall apart sooner or later. Would we rather God had never created us to begin with? How dare we attack our God? Especially when you consider that He made us, and then He gave us a special gift whereby we would never die. When He created us in the Garden of Paradise, He gave us a special gift whereby if we were faithful as a race, we would never die. The gift of immortality. And the gift whereby we would never even suffer. That's how good our God is. Adam and Eve were created that way. And it was their fault. It was the fall of man that brought death into the world. And now it's a penalty that we must pay as a race. It's a penalty that God made man pay first for us. He didn't excuse himself from this. Now we must not question our God. Precisely because the circumstances of our death are unknown. But death is certain. Precisely for that double reason. We must always be prepared for death. We could die in crossing the street to our car after Mass today. We could die of a sudden heart attack. There are any, there's a countless numbers of ways that we could die. And at moments we don't expect, in fact, God tells us, you will die when you do not expect it. We must then always be ready. And that too is a mercy of God. If He told you, if He told any one of us, oh well, you won't, you'll die when you're 76 years old of this sort. These will be the signs that precede. It'll be on this day. Do you think we'd really take it all that seriously, the preparation, year after year? I'll just put it on my calendar to go to confession the week before. In the meantime, and how much time would we have to spend in purgatory after that kind of life? And how much proof of our love for God would we have given? No, God in His mercy hides the moment of our death. But He knows it. And He orders things all around us in the universe to help us be prepared, if we'll, if we'll respond well, to help us be prepared for death. As a priest, of course, we see many suffering. We see, we know many who die. And multiple times we're even there at the moment of their death. I can tell you as a priest that I've seen some really beautiful deaths. Leading up to and then even sometimes being right there when they die. I remember one, one particular instance. An old nun who had ended up having to leave her Dominican order because they had gone modernist. And she and her blood sister, who was also a nun in the same order, they both had to leave because of the modernism. And they lived a, a life still in habit, kind of like these priests that get kicked out without sufficient cause, having to do the best they can. They lived a life in habit. They would come to our, ma our mass. They would try to live their religious life. I didn't know her well personally, but she would come to mass. And I was called to go to her deathbed. And when I arrived, 
She was in quite a bit of suffering. She couldn't respond. You couldn't tell if she was understanding or hearing or not. But still, you do everything you can, the extreme unction, or the, uh, at least the conditional absolution from sin, if they can't respond. You could tell she was suffering. I prayed the prayers for the dying right up to the point where it said, now, if they've begun their agony, their final agony, you say these prayers. And I looked and I thought, she's, she's suffering. She's, going to, she's not going to live through this, but I don't think she's going to die today. She's not in her agony yet. And so I finished. I said goodbye to her sister, who was also there, the other nun. I took off my surplice and all my things, put them back in my bag, and I went. And as I was leaving, I thought, I just don't feel comfortable leaving right now. So I went to the, the counter, the nurse's counter, and I said, look, I, I know you can't tell me much about the condition of a patient, but I'm about to leave this, this elderly nun. How is she? How long do you think she has? And they said, oh, she's in a bad way, but she's all right right now. All right, all right, well, thank you. So I went to walk by. I had to walk back by their room. It had been five minutes. I had to walk back by her room before I left. So as I passed the door, I just looked in and said, all right, I'm on my way. And as I looked, I could see in those five minutes, her breathing had changed. And she was now in her agony. I put my surplus back on. I knelt back down by her bedside. I prayed those prayers for the agony. And at the perfect moment in the prayers, depart, O soul, to your God, those are, that's the gist of, the, of that part of the prayer. She breathed her last and she was gone. And the peace and the joy in her face. An eternal difference between a soul that dies well prepared, a soul that dies in the state of grace, a soul that lived for God, an eternal difference between a soul that dies in grace and a soul that dies in in sin. A difference at the moment of death, but an eternal difference. You see how good God is to those who love Him. If you prepare well, and you prepare others well, you can have every hope that God will send to your bedside the consolation that you need. He even at times of course, it's for each soul to accept or refuse. But even at times, these deathbed conversions, I've baptized adults on their deathbed. And confirmed them. Because a priest in danger of death can give confirmation. I remember once, I, I traveled back to the United States on holiday. I had been home a couple days. It was in an area where there was no society priest that lived. And I received a phone call saying, there's a parishioner's father who's dying. And the parishioner, the young man, had said, Dad, please, you, you know it would mean so much to me. This man had been away from the practice of the faith for about 40 years. And the son said, Dad, you know it would mean so much to me if you would just accept to see a priest. Please, just five minutes. And the father said, all right, all right, five minutes. And the impression the son had was that it was just for him, for his sake. I'll see the priest for five minutes. That man came back to the sacraments that night. 
He went to confession. He received Holy Communion. He received extreme unction. He died within 24 hours. Without that loving relative, that soul, from looking from the outside, looking from his son's perspective, for a priest, of course, can never reveal anything from confession. But looking from his son's perspective, that soul, the soul of his father would have been in hell now if it hadn't been for his insisting, please, please, Dad, would you see a priest? And that takes courage. But it's worth it. Trust in grace. How do you prepare yourself for death? By a good life? What does a good life look like? Love of God, love of neighbor, keeping the commandments and the precepts of the church, going to the sacraments frequently. In other words, putting God always in first place in actual fact, not just in theory. Part of this love of God and part of this love of neighbor includes making sure that your material things your material affairs are ordered. In other words, a last will and testament in place. Do you really want your family to have a massive feud after you die because you, you didn't prepare a will that was clear enough and that was just? And we tend to say, I have time, I have time, I have time. One day we won't have time. We take care of these things well in advance. And don't forget that although it's your will, it's your money, it's your property, there's still laws of God that pertain. There are what we call necessary heirs. We have duties. Just like you have a duty to use your money well when you, while you live, you have a duty to use your money well in your, in your passing, in your death. And the right of succession between parents and children is derived from natural law. That's why parents sin if without just cause they disinherit their children. In general, the rule is the same obligations that urge, the same obligations urged in death as urged in life. Those that you had most, a, a greater duty to take care of in life, you have a greater duty to take care of when you pass. And of course, although it's always delicate to say from the pulpit, of course, don't forget that as you have duties to your family, you do have duties as well to God through His church to make sure that your children still have a, a roof over their heads at their chapels and that schools can expand and, and, and grow. The day-to-day -day donations are generous and, and help us survive and, and manage the resources and keep, let's say, maintain what we have. But to grow, to grow a high school, for example, or other things. Typically, that comes through bequests. That ability comes through God working in souls through their, their bequests. 
if in the Old Testament and in the New, if the idea has often been, give to God 10%, tithe. It's not an absolute. But if that's the general idea, 10% of the, of the income, then perhaps that's a good, a good guideline when it comes to looking at a will. Right? Again, it's not necessarily this or that location. It can be. But the work of God, the work of God for the salvation of souls. Help to prepare others for death. That means firstly, when someone's really ill, they're not going to typically be up to all sorts of complicated thinking about do I accept this medicine or this procedure or not. We ask them. You do your best, but you help them. And if they're making a mistake, if they're saying they want to be cremated, or they're saying that they want some end-of-life procedure, or they want some ordinary means to be withheld from them so they can die faster, then we have to remind them of the laws of God. And if you're power of attorney and have to make decisions for them, then all the more you have to know the laws of God regarding end-of-life decisions. We're not free to just decide whatever we want. We can't just say, I don't want oxygen, I don't want food, I don't want drink. There are certain things that we can say, I'll opt out of that, thank you. Right. Some extraordinary means that are truly extraordinary that you can take, but you're free not to. If you don't know where that line is, because there are others that we cannot refuse, like food and, and hydration, even if it's intravenous or through a J-tube, that's not optional. We can't starve someone to death. And if the hospital is healthy and they don't want to do it, we have to insist. Oh, but I want to die at home. Beautiful, if you can. But don't put your own desires above God's law. If you need a hospital, you need a doctor, you need care, in order to follow God's law, then we submit, as we've done through life. I too would love to die in the rectory. But it's where God wants, when God wants, not how we choose. If you don't know those laws, then you ask the priest. And ask him before it's last minute. You can look on our, recently, well, last year we had Father Curtis, who was moral theology teacher in Goulburn for years. He came and gave a talk to the parish at adult catechism on end of life decisions. That talk was recorded and videotaped. Maybe I'll send a link next time, next bulletin. Certainly it's on our YouTube channel for, for the uh, Australia, New Zealand district, along with many, many other talks. End of life issues. You can also help your, help your loved ones, your relatives, by getting a priest at the right moment. Calling a priest for them. You can help your relatives die well and your loved ones by being honest with them about the seriousness of their condition. We're not allowed to hide from someone how seriously, if they're, if they're risking, if they're, if they're approaching death, they need to know so that they can prepare. As hard as that is. And honestly, the graces are there if they'll accept them, to deal with that well. I remember one case, Phoenix, Arizona, or 
in the mountains around there. There was an older lady. She had just been out of the hospital. She had dementia, but she'd be in and out. She could focus better some days than others. She had just come out of the hospital. I thought she was on the mend, but I knew she was very old and frail. And since it was a mission chapel, we were up there. And I said, I'm, I'm going to give her extreme unction. She's too frail. This could, this could happen any moment again. So I went to the home, and I was talking with her. And I said, all right, because of your, your age, you're on the mend. But because of your age, I'm going to give you extreme unction, age and this condition. And I looked at the daughter, and she was all, the adult daughter was all teared up. Her sons, one of them had, had come in for the, for the, because of the illness from another state, I believe. And they were all very, very serious. The daughter was crying. So I went and I whispered to her, is there something I don't know? Oh, Father, they just, the doctors just told us that her organs are shutting down and she's not going to make it. I said, does she know? No, not yet, Father. We just found out. The mother's still in the room. I'm just whispering. And she says, well, I said, she needs to know. Do you want to tell her or do you want me to tell her? Oh, Father, you please tell her. So I went down on one knee next to her. She was in her wheelchair. And we, I used to call her grandma. She was a good old lady of the parish. Everyone called her grandma. So I knelt down next to her and I said, well, grandma, I just found out the doctors have sent some news. Your, your condition is very serious. In fact, they're not sure if you're going to live through this one. And she looked at me and you could see in her eyes, she understood. She started computing everything. Then she said, holy crow. <laughs> I thought, what do you do with that? <laughs> the daughter's crying and the mother's... I said, well, you have a great devotion to Mary, don't you? And she said, oh, yes, I do. I said, well, you want to see her one day, don't you? I sure do. Well, God might let you do that soon. We're just not sure. But we're going to give you extra unction just in case. Oh, thank you, Father. She was surprised, and then she was fine. I gave her extra unction. At the end, I said, now, don't you worry. You've received everything you need. And she looked at me. In her old, raspy voice, she said, I love you, our holy priest. I love you too, Grandma. That was the last time I ever saw her when she could, when she could speak. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but we know it's going to happen to each and every one of us and those we love. The prayers for the dying, I was going to go over some of those today, but we're already well over time, so I'm not going to. They're beautiful prayers. Please look at them. They're in that booklet that we're, we're providing. Prayers that you can say alongside the, the, death, the deathbed of a, of a relative, that you can yourself pray if you're ill. When do you call a priest? When do you call a priest for a sick call? In case of any serious illness, even if there's no apparent danger of death, if there's serious illness, especially if the condition is going to last more than a month where they can't get to church, and call a priest. Call a priest. And make clear the urgency. If, it's not, if they're not dying and you have to leave a voicemail, Father, it's not absolutely urgent, but my mother has a condition that's really painful and she's in the hospital and she's been there a while and she's going to be there a while. Can you please give us a call? But make sure that you make clear the urgency. 
When you call a priest for extreme unction, as soon as it seems, as soon as it seems that there is danger of death from an internal cause, not, the, not at the last minute, at the last breath, as soon as there's danger of death, it seems there's danger of death from an internal cause. They have a cancer that if the doctors didn't treat, would be terminal. In a year, two years, call the priest. And in case of sudden or unexpected death, you look and say, oh, well, there was a car accident. The person's already died. I guess there's nothing the priest can do. If it's within two hours of death, more or less, the priest can, do, can still conditionally give extreme unction and conditional absolution because we don't know exactly when the soul leaves the body. It looks like they're dead, but the soul may be there. So if it's sudden, call the priest. And again, make clear the urgency. Father, this is, emer this is an emergency. My loved one is dying. I need a priest as soon as possible. Which priest do you call? I'd love to say call us for anybody in the world. You know we can't do that. Not everybody in the world is, is under the charge of any one priest. Of course, if a priest is walking by and someone's dying, they help them. But there's no way that we can take care of a parish and be parish priests of the millions in even the Sydney area. Which priest do you call? Huh? You know that our choices in life affect our death. Typically you call the persons, the, the parish priest of the person who's dying. I don't like the sound of that any more than you do. Because of the circumstances we live in. But we can't force tradition on people. That's why you want to work on them earlier on. If the individual, if the individual says, I want a traditional priest, or if they're already a member of the parish, then for sure you call us. But if, they, even if they're not a member, if they say, I want the traditional sacraments, you call us. But we can't force ourselves on everyone. All right. We'll leave it at that for today. That was a long sermon. I apologize. All right, please pray to Our Lady and St. Joseph for the grace of a happy death, a holy and a happy death for yourself, for your loved, ones, your loved ones, and for all of us, priests and religious. And pray for the poor souls in purgatory, those who have already died, for they need your prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.